Hello, and welcome to the podcast where our goal is to remind you that amidst the chaos and craziness of the world, there is still plenty of good that's worth shouting about. In each episode, we're going to be joined by nonprofit professionals, leaders, experts, and advocates to hear their stories, facilitate connection within the nonprofit sector, and hopefully put a smile on your face, because that's always nice. This is Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. Let's share some good. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes. I'm Matt Barnes, and with me, as she most usually is, my assistant, Tiffany Pope. Yep, the glue. The glue. Yeah. She just gave herself that title. <laughs> that's how things work around here. You just give yourself a title, and then that's what you are, <laughs> whether you've earned it or not. Yep, I'm rolling with it. Okay, cool. You're not going to fight the fact that I just implied that you didn't earn it? Ooh. All right, moving on. <laughs> so what's been going on? What's been happening lately? Well, we had a very, very special birthday. Oh, yeah, we did. It the was specialist. His 21st birthday. It was my 21st birthday. <laughs> yes. 40, or no, the 20, I don't do math. Thir- 23rd time. <laughs> I don't know. Really, I turned 45. Wow. 45. Wow. I know. 45. How did I get so old? When did that happen? Time just flies. Blinked. Yeah. 45, five kids, just like all of a sudden life happens. Yeah. You're, Doing a podcast about nonprofits. I don't know. <laughs> you never see this stuff coming. It just happens to you. Yeah. But anyway, great birthday. We had a fun time. Had had people over. How'd you enjoy the dinner and the part? Oh, wait, no. You didn't come. That's right. You didn't make it to my birthday dinner because you had college things to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what college kid doesn't want to hang out with a bunch of 40-year-olds? <laughs> 40-somethings. On... No, here's the thing that we realized in the middle of my birthday gathering at our house. <laughs> it was the exact same group as was there for Poppy and Wells' birthday party <laughs> for their fourth birthday party back in March. <laughs> it was all the same kids and all the same adults. It just was the kids were not the focus this time. <laughs> but we did. it was the exact same thing. I'm like, I just had a four-year-old birthday party. Yep. It was awesome, though. How did you feel? I loved it. It was super fun. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, and I blew out the candles on the cake, except they tried to change the four and the five to make it 54, and that was rude. Ooh. Yeah, really rude. Anyway, all right, let's get to why we're actually here today, mm-hmm. it, which is, of course, to celebrate me. So this whole episode, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We've got this awesome guest today, Ashley Jones. She's actually really one of the more inspirational people I've talked to. She has a nonprofit called Love Not Lost, though they are changing their name and I'm blanking on what it's going to be, but she'll talk about it in the episode. They're changing their name starting in the new year. But she's got a really tragic and yet very inspirational story. In 2011, her 21-month-year-old daughter passed away from a terminal genetic condition. And she has been since then on this journey of learning how to heal and grow through pain and now is using her nonprofit to give others the skills and tools to process their grief. And so we like to generally keep things pretty light here. So this obviously was just a much heavier type interview, but she has some really great insights, not just from her journey, but also as somebody coming into nonprofit work who is not from that background and some of the things that she's learned as she's tried to grow this thing and survive COVID and all the things that they've had to do. Really impressive stuff. So check out this great interview. Not great because I did it. I mean, that helps. But Ashley was really great. We actually stayed on the Zoom call after we stopped recording for about 45 minutes and kept talking because I was just so fascinated by her story. And we may have her back to talk a little bit about 
taking care of your mental health as a nonprofit professional, because she has some great insights on that as well. But Ashley Jones will be right with us right after this. We are brought to you by Rogue Creatives. I started Rogue Creatives in 2016 because I saw so many people doing amazing things like life-changing work. And either they're spending all their time trying to figure out how to connect with people and get their story out there instead of doing what they love, what they got into it to do and what they were good at, or they ignored all that and they just did what they loved, but not enough people knew about them or nobody knew about them even worse. My background is in education and organizational leadership. When I was doing my master's in education, I learned that the best way to educate someone to connect their heads and their hearts is through story. In my organizational leadership program, I learned how to help an organization define its character, its voice, its values, its personality. So I took the best of those and I combined them to create the strategic storytelling framework that we use at Rogue Creatives to define an organization's character so that we could tell their story while freeing the organization up to do what they do best. We've helped dozens of nonprofits define their personalities and increase their reach as they bring new donors and volunteers into their stories. And as you well know, more donors means more money, means more people getting the help that they need. And that means the world's becoming a better place because of the character in your story. So get started today by visiting roguecreatives.com NPC. That's NPC for Nonprofit Connect. And schedule a free brand consultation and take our free online brand character quiz. That's roguecreatives.com NPC to begin defining your brand character today. There's no commitment or risk for you at all. And come on, don't you want to meet us? We're super fun, I promise. Rogue Creatives. Seriously. Creative storytelling. Okay, enough from me. Back to me and our guest. All right. I am here with Ashley and very excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We always start off our podcast with a section that we call three random questions. And I have a list of many, many random questions, and I have a randomizer that chooses three. And perfect. we're going to jump right in. All right. What is your favorite time of day, Ashley? So I'll start by saying I'm not a morning person. Okay. Me neither. I try so hard, but I can't. Dude, it's so hard. <laughs> Mornings are so hard. Honestly, that's such an interesting question because there's so many things that play into what is a desirable time of day for me, like sunshine. I love sunshine. But on a cloudy day, like that time differs. So I really love afternoons. Like I feel very energized, like really 10 a.m. is when my brain wakes up and then I'm energized all afternoon. And then I love evenings, though, too, like the sunset. So I'll say sunset because it's like beautiful colors. It's like the satisfaction of hopefully a day well lived. And I'm energized at night, too, because I'm a night owl. So it's like halfway through my day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And wait, where are you? So live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I lived for about a decade before this. And currently in Seneca, South Carolina with my in-laws. Okay, there you go. So you get around over there. All the the Southeast. I'm a Southeast girl. Nice. I did a, I think I spoke at a conference or something in Chattanooga once. And I just remember, (laughs) this is the dumbest thing. They had the nicest manhole covers I've ever seen. Like they were like works of art. They're like bronze. I don't know. I'm like, who spends this much time on manhole covers and on the streets? That's amazing. (laughs) I don't know if it was everywhere, if it was just kind of like the area we were staying or whatever, but I was like, wow. And the food was excellent as well. 
Speaking of which, next question is, what is your guilty pleasure slash comfort food? So 10 years ago, I had to give up gluten. Oh. I know, right? So fried chicken is my favorite all day long. Chick-fil-A biscuit in the morning, fried chicken any time of day. Luckily, my husband makes a pretty mean gluten-free fried chicken for me at home. And then there's also a restaurant called Bantam and Biddy that has the best gluten-free fried chicken. And they do gluten-free fried chicken and waffles. So if anyone has celiac or is gluten-free, Bantam and Biddy is the place to go. It is so good for that comfort food that you can't typically find anywhere else. Is that a regionally specific thing? It is. So Chattanooga and Atlanta, they're also in the Atlanta airport. So if you're passing through, they don't do the waffles there, but they do have the fried chicken tenders at the airport. Okay. My wife's going to have to come out and check that out because she gave up gluten about 10 years ago. And man, you know, though, when we did our honeymoon in Italy and over there, she could eat the pasta and the bread, nothing. Didn't have any problems. The processing's all so different. It's crazy. All right. Last question. Where is somewhere in the world everyone should go? Oh, that's such a good question, too. <laughs> I feel like it's less about where. And I really, really believe that everyone should experience a third world country where there's true poverty. So I visited Uganda and I went for a documentary film project called Emba Means Sing. And it was on Netflix at one point. I know it's on Apple. You can buy it there. But it was such a beautiful experience. And I feel like Africa is the motherland of everybody, of humanity. And so I'd have to say Africa, but specifically places that are very rural and villages and like just really seeing how other people live. It's so impactful. I mean, coming back, I was like, I'm just thankful for one toilet, let alone a number in my house like hot water, like just you gain so much appreciation. But then you also see like when I went to the slums of Uganda, which are the second largest slums in the world, there were little kids running around so full of joy, like just playing with each other because they had each other. And like, that's all that matters. So I think if everyone could travel to the slums of Uganda, like they just see the humanity in each other of like, we all just want love and connection. Like none of the stuff matters. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. I had the same experience in India and man, it was humbling to see these kids that were just seemed so joyful and happy living in the poorest of conditions. And that was uh, reframe some things for me. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like people would complain a lot less if we traveled more to places like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, you have very thoughtful answers. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, it's a blessing and a curse, man. I can't not be like in my head. So, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into what you're all about. What is your sort of nonprofit world origin story? What led you to where you are today and what you're doing? Yeah. So my husband and I had a daughter in 2009 and at one month old, we noticed something wasn't quite right. Her right arm came up like a chicken wing and I would pull it back down and it would come back up on its own seemingly. So I had worked with severely handicapped kids when I was in high school and I was very familiar with contractures being a part of cerebral palsy. So I was like, hmm, it's not cerebral palsy because she doesn't have some of the other signs of that, but there is something going on that's like similar. And so 
I'll bring it up to your pediatrician. And her pediatrician was like, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. I'll send you to a specialist. And through a series of specialist appointments, we found out when she was two months old that she had a terminal condition called spinal muscular atrophy. So it's very similar to Lou Gehrig's disease. Muscles degenerate and there's no cure. So my husband and I had to figure a lot of stuff out really soon. We were young. So we were the first of all of our friends to have a child. And we were certainly the first of all our friends to lose one. We had been told that we would be lucky to see her first birthday. And so with possibly only having 10 months, maybe less left, we didn't want to waste that time. And so we were like, you know what? We can feel sorry for ourselves later. If we want to have the pity party, we can do that after she's gone. Let's really try and focus on life and love and the things that matter. We had to have really hard spiritual conversations because it was like the decisions we make are based on what we believe. If this is it, we're going to fight really hard to keep her here as long as we possibly can. If we believe that there's something else, there's healing, the chance to see her again, we might let her go a little bit sooner. So there was a lot we had to work through. With the help of a researcher, we actually did see her first birthday, which was really beautiful. We were on hospice at 10 months old, but she stepped in and really doubled my daughter's life. So we said goodbye at 21 months old. And during that time, we had a friend gift us a professional portrait session. And the photos obviously were a huge gift in the moment just to preserve memories and capture the love that we shared as a family. But in the grief, they were one of the most helpful tools that I had in my healing journey. And what I realized was that the photos gave me safe space to feel, to cry, to talk to her, to just be whatever I needed to be in that moment. And I realized throughout the year, so like, In the first raw moments of losing her, I had to turn every photo face down because it was so painful. But after two weeks, I was like, I miss seeing her face. The nursery's empty. I'm here by myself. My husband's back at work. Like, what am I supposed to do? I was a full-time mom and caregiver. (laughs) Like, I'm just stuck here, right? But I missed her so much. I just wanted to see those big blue eyes and rosy cheeks. And so I started turning the photos back up one by one. And then... They just were with me along this journey of my grief evolving. The photos gave me space to evolve too. Like instead of being super painful to look at over time, they were a source of love and joy and comfort. And so I was like, if the photos were so helpful for me and giving me permission to feel and to just be and express myself, maybe they would do that for other people. And so I started volunteering portrait sessions as a photographer to anyone I heard of facing a terminal diagnosis. Most people took me up on it. And then my husband lovingly came to me and was like, you have to stop. (laughs) Like, I love you and you're giving heart, but we are going to go bankrupt. Like you are giving so much away and you're taking away from your profits in your business. And so like, we're not going to be able to pay our bills if you keep doing this. And I was like, I hear you and I appreciate your concern. And I it's real. Like that is real. However, I'm not going to charge these families a penny and I'll figure it out. And so that's when I pursued starting a nonprofit because I was like, if I'm willing to give it all away, I'm sure that I can find other people who believe in this cause to 
help people heal and grief facing a terminal diagnosis, that they'll help me give it all away. And so if I can get donations or grants, whatever it is, I'll find a way to do this, but I'm not charging the families anything because we were there and we know like insurance doesn't cover a lot. And then there's funeral expenses and then there's medical bills and then your own therapy and so much that's not covered. And it's just a huge burden. And even though photography is a luxury in the moment of fighting a terminal illness, like it's a necessity in the grief. It's really, really a helpful tool. And so with every family I served, there was a beautiful story of impact, the way that kids use the photos, the way that spouses use the photos, the way that siblings use the photos. Like it was really, truly so powerful and inspiring for me to keep pursuing doing that for families. So that's how we started. Wow. I mean, first of all, I know it's obviously been a, a while, but I'm so sorry for what you had to go through. Thank you. I can't even imagine. And don't want to, to be honest, <laughs> like that's just not, I mean, wow. But to be able to take that and try and, and not try and, and actually bring something beautiful and helpful and useful and out of that for other people is, I mean, there's a resiliency there that is impressive and that's an incredible, incredible story. What has the journey been like going from such a very obviously personal event inspiring all of this and turning it into a full nonprofit, Love Not Lost. What has that journey been like and what have the unexpected bits been? The journey has been challenging. So I started in 2016 officially. I gathered three of my closest friends, which gifted us the portrait session. Another friend who had showed up to bring us dinners regularly. And then another friend who befriended me in my grief. She never got to meet Skylar, but she did become a close friend of mine shortly after. And I was like, you three people are very talented in your day jobs of branding and strategy and web development and all of that. Will you help me get this off the ground as my founding board members? Because I have to have three people. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know many people in the corporate world. Like I never went the corporate route. I always worked for small companies and my background's in graphic design, graphic communications. I did web design, photography, the creative route. So yeah, I was like, I would love for you three to be the ones who helped me start this. You clearly know how to love people well. You've shown it to me personally, and I believe that you can help me do it on a much greater scale. So they agreed. They were my founding board members, and none of us had nonprofit experience. So I was like, okay, let me read some books. Let me Google some things and I'll get back to you, you know? And so that's like really how we started. And thankfully we added another board member, Rachel, who was like, hey, what about these policies? Do you have these policies in place? And we were like, no, but yes, we will have them. Like, <laughs> like what are the things we need to know, right? That we don't know. So it was like a steep learning curve, right? Because there's so much that's different about the nonprofit world than a business. And I had started and successfully built a photography business for portrait weddings that I had done on my own. But the nonprofit world was so different. And the whole providing services for free and then fundraising full time, trying to build an organization that from the start, I wanted to bring to a national, potentially global level. So there's a lot there because I'm always building with scaling in mind. And then there's just a lot. So, so that's part of it. 
obviously the challenge is 2020, <laughs> hashtag 2020, where a lot of nonprofits closed down and we almost did. It was one of those where, gosh, I mean, I furloughed myself for, I think, a month, month and a half. And I kept my other full-time employee on with no interruption in her pay. And then we just had volunteers and really no other staff members at that time. So yeah, we got the PPP that saved us. We had monthly givers that saved us. We had one of our biggest financial partners for granting Northside Hospital in Atlanta came through that year. And they've been consistent with giving as, as well as a smaller company, Kalon Creative, who's also been a dedicated corporate sponsor. And so the combination of all of those really helped us pull through. And I'm not going to lie, like this year has been a challenge, right? Like the inflation is real. Like people are feeling it and it's hard to give when you're strapped for cash. And so this year has been a challenge as well. But I told my team, like, look, we made it through 2020. We are just getting started. And so there's no way that we're not going to get to a national slash global level. I know it will happen. I can't promise you a timeline of when, but this work is too important. And I am maybe too stubborn might be a good word. <laughs> Determined. Determined, right. It's just one of those things where I really believe that my personal journey was so perfectly aligned with this work that I was made for this. And I was with the way that my mind is built, with the passion that I have, with the drive and determination. I'm like, I will build this. It just is a matter truly of time and who's going to help us get there faster. That's awesome. Coming into the nonprofit world, what was, I guess, the biggest surprise for you or the biggest unexpected piece? Like you said, you'd built a successful business. It is, there are aspects, of course, that are similar in any type, but nonprofits do have their specific challenges. What was the biggest for you? I think the biggest shock to me was two things, both financial. So financial is the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> the long answer is one that people genuinely expect you to run an efficient and effective nonprofit while not spending any money. Like shocking people who are like, well, I want 100% of my gift to go towards programming and the families that we serve. And I'm like, we literally can't show up for these families that we serve if we don't have these technology systems that allow us to keep track of everything and make sure no one falls through the cracks. And then well, and paying people and letting people know you exist and <laughs> quote unquote overhead. I'm like, that is just standard operation. Like that is like necessity for running a productive, successful, efficient business. And so, yes, there are organizations who have tons of waste and I get that, but that shouldn't mean that everyone else is penalized for thinking smart and effective as a business mind. And you wouldn't expect any other business to be able to run at a level without the basic things like salaries and office space and marketing and stuff like that. So that was truly the biggest shock that there were so many people out there who were so critical of how you spend your money in a very judgmental way through a nonprofit lens. Like if you're going to 
criticize me this way, then let's criticize Coca-Cola this way. Let's criticize like some of these other for-profits this way. And you'll find that there's a lot of waste there too. Like if you're classify it that way. So that was truly like one of the bigger shocks where I was like, wow, like I have to reframe the way that I approach this because I'm still going to think of it as a business because that is how you can be effective with serving people. But I'm going to have to rework my brain and how I communicate with people because there are people who aren't ready to hear that yet. So that was the first thing I was like, okay, I want to run this really well. And I want to be successful because that's how we're going to help more people. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was financially was when we started applying for grants, there were so many times where I just wanted to run my head into a wall. And it was like grants who were like, well, you have to be in existence for three to five years before we'll give you funding. And grants that were like, well, we need to make X amount of money before we can give you additional funding. So basically, you have to make more money for us to give you money. Or we need three years of audited financial statements. And it's like, cool, I get it. You guys want to be super effective with your money and not waste it on people who aren't going to be around or might be not the character that you want to invest in. But also, like when you're just starting out, like, how do you survive? How do you grow? And that was a really big shock to me too, because I thought there were going to be a lot more granting opportunities and maybe I just haven't found them, but I've really struggled to find them for small organizations who are startups who don't have the history and or the big budgets already in existence. Everything you said tracks with everything that I hear constantly and that I've experienced with the nonprofits I work with and have worked with and that we work with through our agency. It's the thing that's great for you that is that you get that is that you get the idea that a nonprofit, you know, somebody on an earlier episode said he was on this mission to get people to realize that nonprofit is a tax status, not a job description. And we need to still run our nonprofits to be effective and pay people well. And the same way you would run a successful business, that's how you grow something. And that marketing is not just some extra thing you do. It's core. It's mission critical because it's getting the story out there. It's giving people a chance to be a part of it and join in. And if you don't do that, they can't. And one of the biggest challenges that I come across is not only has culture been sort of brainwashed to think that nonprofits need to be done differently. And from all the campaigns from 20 years ago that, that are like, 90% of every dollar goes straight to the kids or whatever, which sounds really nice until you think about it too much. But so many nonprofit founders believe that because they don't know that either. And so they're literally just going in circles with no money or the same donors every year. And so how did you address that? You said you learned to communicate differently. What does that look like? I mean, I let people know, like, listen, I'm not trying to be wasteful. I want to be a good steward of your money if you are a donor to our cause. Like, I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who's ever given even just $5. If it was like a crowdfunding campaign or Giving Tuesday or whatever, like every dollar has helped us get to where we are today. And so it's like, I can't promise you that nothing will be wasted because part of the growth is failing. Like we've tried things that haven't worked out and it sucked right? It was like, that was like $4,000 and it didn't work, but we thought it would. 
And so I always let people know, especially like the consistent givers, certainly big givers who have really invested in us, like, all right, this is my vision. I don't know how to get from where we are here to global level yet, but I know that I'm determined. I know that I'm resourceful. I know that I'm hella creative. And so I will find a way. Now, my goal is to find the most efficient way possible where there's the least amount of waste, but I can't guarantee there won't be any waste. And so basically when people give, I'm very clear that like we don't take the model of 100% is given to the programs. Like it's not feasible. And to your point, like I explained, if you look at those programs, I think Charity Water has done a beautiful job of delineating those and they've done it well. But most organizations aren't in a position where they can do that or frankly have the donor base where they could do that. And so that's something that I've struggled with of like, well, do we find donors who can truly just fund our administration and then we can find other people to fund the rest of it? Or what do people want? And I think end of the day, like people really want to see you change lives. They want to make the world a better place. And so that's what I tell people. It's like, we are for impact. We're tax deductible nonprofit, but we are for impact. And so my focus is impacting as many lives as possible. And when you give to us, like that is what your money is going to. So I'm here to report to you how we use your money. You can ask me any questions. I'm here to be transparent about that. But just know that like my vision is for impact and like that is going to require spending money. So here's the other piece of that. Like I understand why people are hesitant. There are so many organizations that have abused money that have not been transparent, that haven't done what they said they would do. So I recognize that that is a very real concern and a real fear. And so that's part of why, like, if you are a monthly giver in our community, like you have an opportunity every quarter to jump on a live Zoom call with me and ask me whatever question you want. So it's like, I want people to have that access and have the impact stories being told to them. And then we also added our community. We just launched a community last year that gives everyone an opportunity to have a profile on our communities. So like donors can create a profile. The families we serve can create a profile. The photographers who volunteer with us can create a profile. And now the communication is no longer stuck, siloed with just me, but they can really interact with people from all aspects of the community. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think that's the other problem is like when the communication is siloed and it's just coming from one perspective or one voice, like even with the best intentions, it can get skewed. So that's like part of our goal too, is to take out those silos of communication so that everyone can like cross-pollinate and communicate and be in the know and truly have hear firsthand from donors and families and photographers, like what is actually being done. That's amazing. If I had to sum up what you just said, I would say you've used accountability, transparency, and community to really combat the misperceptions of what nonprofits should be. So I'm going to ask you to trust us to spend the money the way that 
you're doing this because you're leading the charge. You're out there doing the research and figuring out what's going to work and trying things. And you need the ability to do that like any business. And so to compensate, you've created accessibility and transparency in ways that I don't know that I've really heard of from another nonprofit. That's really great. That's amazing. Like the Zoom thing is really cool. And in doing so, you're giving your donors more of a chance to be a part of the story as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's still a work in progress. So like our community is still being built where there's still things we're adding to it and customizing and stuff like that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like I've given to several nonprofits and the ones that stand out to me are the ones that are actively engaged with thanking me and telling me how my money is being impacted in the world. And shockingly, like very few do it. And I was like, when I first started Love Not Lost, I was like, I don't want to be the organization that you give money to and you never hear from again. Starting out, I didn't have the capacity to follow up with every single donor. And so sure, there are some people at the start who probably did give and didn't hear from us. But right now, like we send a handwritten thank you note to anybody who gives. We, like I said, do the quarterly Zoom calls for the people who give monthly. There are things that we're trying to do to build that community and that engagement because we don't want people to feel just like an ATM machine that's like so terrible and impersonal and frankly offensive. So yeah, we're always, so this kind of brings up a good point, which is the driving question of our organization is how can we love people better? So we ask that of our families that we serve, our photographers, our staff, our board member, our donors. And when we were asking it about our donors, it was like, well, how can we love our donors better? And I was like, well, let me tell you what not to do. From my experiences, I know of what not to do, but very few nonprofits have shown me how to love donors well. And so I started doing research. I started watching webinars. Erica Wasdorp is a great resource on monthly giving programs. Rachel Muir has the League of Extraordinary Fundraisers. She does a great job of sharing how to love donors well. And so basically, I tried to seek out the people that I could learn from. I feel like I found some really good people. That's fantastic. Yeah. I've had very similar experiences where you donate and maybe you get a thank you or whatever, and that's pretty much it. You move on. But I tried to help clients that I've worked with or nonprofits I've worked with realize you're asking people to invest in a way that's different from a normal investment because you're not getting your money back. You're not going to make money on this, but you're investing in people's lives. And so they're investing in the outcome of where that goes. And if you don't bring them into that story and let them know there's no reason for them to continue to be a part of it. And the nonprofits that I've continued to support are the ones that have continued to engage me in that in a way that I'm going, oh my gosh, they asked for this because they were trying to do that. And then I got an update that what I gave helped them accomplish this. All right, what are we doing next? You know, and <laughs> so I'm like, I want to be a part of that now because, wow, I got to help that happen. And it's not a hugely complicated thing, but so many nonprofits, I think, miss that. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, like I said before, when it was just me trying to get this thing off the ground, like I did not have the capacity to write everyone a thank you note and then follow up with like a printed piece. And so I do want to acknowledge that it does take time and money to build those systems, but they should be a priority 
as you're growing and adding team members. Like my first team member was like, help me write handwritten thank you notes. Like, I'm just going to hire you to help me write thank you notes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, as we sort of start to wrap up, if you had to leave another nonprofit leader with one piece of advice, that something you've learned, what would that be? I feel like the best advice is to really choose who you invite into your organization very intentionally, whether it's board members or staff members or even volunteers, because people are everything. And getting the best people for whatever your cause is on your board, on your staff, in your volunteer base is going to help you more than anything else will. Yeah, it's hard. Sometimes we forget both in nonprofit and for-profit work that I think people are greatest resource and we invest in equipment and technology and which you have to, but also in the right people and making sure that they have what they need to do the job that, that you've asked them to do. Well, this has been really great, Ashley. I feel like we could probably talk for much longer. We have a few questions that we like to wrap up with. What makes you feel the most connected? So when I think about connection, I think about connection to myself and then connection to other people. Because we live in a world where it's really easy to disconnect, to distract ourselves, to doom scroll, to binge watch, to drink or whatever. So the first thing when I think about connection is to stay connected to myself, like even in the uncomfortable moments and be present. And so part of connection for me is getting out in nature and knowing what it takes to fill my soul, being on the water, getting in sunshine, hiking to a waterfall, whatever it is. I think that like builds the connection within myself as well as journaling, meditation, all of that. And that's a practice that I developed over time, especially as I've been doing like the heavier work, it's become like a necessity. And I think it's a necessity for everyone. It's just more apparent in the work that I do. And so with the connection for myself and the connection I have internally, I then can reach out and connect to other people. And one of the greatest joys that I have in connection is meaningful conversation. Just like this podcast interview, when I was hiring for position for my team two weeks ago, I had so many amazing conversations and it just like filled my heart up. It was just like, oh my gosh, like there's so many great people in the world who want to do great things. And like, I wish I had the money to hire them all. And so I I really value that meaningful connection, like learning about other people doing incredible things. It helps me feel less alone in the world that like, okay, like there are other people tackling the things that they care about. And together, when we're all focused on the things that matter to us, we can make a difference collectively in the world. Which is a huge reason why we started Nonprofit Connect, because so many nonprofit leaders that I talk to feel very isolated and they don't talk to each other very much. And so to hear from each other, to learn from each other, I think there's so many great opportunities there that get missed. And we just wanted to be able to facilitate that. Last question is, what in your job brings you the most joy? There are a lot of parts of my job that bring me joy. The first one that came to mind is serving families. Like when I get to get behind the camera again and go out on a session and photograph someone who's facing a terminal diagnosis, like creating those moments for really powerful emotions to come through. And then I get to edit the photos, deliver the photos, and then see the impact that they have. That is one of the greatest joys of my life. 
And I would say the second one that came like right into my head right after that one is just building this amazing team of incredible humans that I get to work with every day. Everyone that I hire on my team is a phenomenal human. And it is so fun to be in control of building that community and creating something that will scale and grow and like change the world. It's awesome. That's so great. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for doing this and for sharing your life in this way. It's really incredible. Where can people find you, find more information about what you're doing? Yeah. So the crazy fun part is, so right now it's lovenotlost.org. January 1st, we're going to be rebranding. And so we'll be known as Memento Foundation. It's M-O-M-E-N-T-O. So we'll have mementofoundation.org on January 1st. And then it will be Memento Foundation going forward. All of the Love Not Lost stuff will forward to the Memento Foundation. So if you're like, remember Love Not Lost? What did they change their name to? Just go to lovenotlost.org and it will forward you to the right place. (laughs) But you can find me on LinkedIn, Ashley Nicole Jones, Love Not Lost on LinkedIn. And on Instagram, we're at lovenotlost.org right now. And like I said, we'll announce the changeover at the end of the year. Nice. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I think there's a lot of really great stuff that you brought for other nonprofit leaders. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Here we are at the end. You made it. Thank you so much for listening this far. And if you'd like to hear more from Nonprofit Connect brought to you by Rogue Creatives, well, then make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you don't miss out because you don't want to miss out. You want to be on the you want to be on the end. You know, you want to be on the inner circle. You want to know what's going on. Also, if you're interested in working with us or want to reach out or tell us how amazing we are, visit our website, npconnect.roguecreatives.com. You can get all the info there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, we won't see you. We'll hear you. Well, you'll hear us. Whatever. Bye. Nonprofit Connect with Matt Barnes is hosted and executive produced by me, Matt Barnes, with an assist by my chaos coordinator, Tiffany Pope. Production is by our amazing friends over at Fame, the B2B podcast agency, along with Belinda Carter-Thompson and the team here at Rogue Creatives. Production lead is Luke Audi at Fame. Writing is by Sam Hollis at Fame and Matt Barnes and Taylor Bolanos from Rogue Creatives. Nemanja Koljaja of Fame is our audio editor and Arslan Yakub from Fame is our video editor. Creative direction is by Corey Hill of Rogue. Our artwork is designed by Hope O'Kelly and Joshua Marino at Rogue and Ian Salas of Fame. Theme music is composed and performed by Jared Atherton of Chapters. Luke Audi of Fame does our booking and our guest relations. Huge thanks to our amazing guests for joining us for this episode and to all of you incredible listeners for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, and I don't know why you wouldn't have don't forget to help us spread some good by giving us a good review preferably you know five stars with lots of words saying how amazing we are on whatever platform you're listening on apple Podcasts, spotify whatever it is also tell your friends and subscribe so we can come straight into your potholes each and every time we have a new episode for more information about nonprofit connect or to join us at a live event here in orange county california visit our website npconnect.roguecreatives.com we'll catch you next time This has been a Rogue Creatives production.